Hey guys, it's your host, Seth Goldstein, with Juicy Divas, Confessions of a Limo Driver. And I have a very juicy, important announcement. Ever wonder how cool and refreshing it would be to hear your own voice on iTunes? Your podcast made at a touch of a button? If you haven't heard about Anchor, you are totally missing out. It's the most easiest way to make a podcast super practical, and best part of all, it's free. It even has creation tools that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone on the go or computer in the comfort of your own home, guys. What's even better, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money for your podcast with minimum listenership. It's really that easy. Everything you need to make a podcast in one place. What are you waiting for? Download your free Anchor app or simply go to anchor.fm to get started. Until next time, thank you. Goodbye. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining another Juicy Divas Confessions of a Limo Driver with yours truly, Jim Francis and Seth Goatsting bring you each and every week or almost every other day these days a most talented super actors ultra talented in this case i have a superhuman um in every respect of the word the guy is brilliant he's a comedian multi-talented comedian he's also a survivor of cancer so you want to definitely hear all about that the guy is uh is is amazing um and and you know what i can hardly way to talk to this guy this guy is a brother from another mother guys give it up and it's my delight to have him on our show today the one and only unparalleled mr paul loudon thanks for having me buddy (laughs) (laughs) brother it's finally great to have you on i know i've hosted many of shows and uh you know ours is is been uh one two you're like uh at times a very elusive person. It's it's hard to get a hold of you because you're always working, which is great. And finally, we got to here. And so let's get the party started. They would say the good old proverbial good times. Let's do it. Yeah. So you have a, a quite a bit of stuff, and it's very interesting that um, you know you worked with. I mean, uh, just a wow, a plethora of people, a slew of of, of wonderful comedians amongst. Uh, obviously, the, the not long ago you worked with Eddie Griffin, which was great. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll hear all about Bad President. Yeah, I want to hear all about that. Oh yeah. Um, and 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 then you also worked back in the day, but when you were 18 years of age, all right, a tender age of 18, when most of us have maybe our head up or behinds, you were working with the likes of Robin Williams, Margaret Cho, and Jamie Fox. Amazing. How, yeah. how does one? How do you, how do you get to work with these big namers at such a young age? Like, did you start comedy when you're in diapers? I mean, most people, most people <laughs> ten years to get to that point. <laughs> Tell us about it, man. How did that start? Well, it was really uh, interesting. I was at a community college, Southwestern Community College, down in Chula Vista, as you know, uh, and I was I was out because I was on the basketball team and I had an injury and I was taking a break and a friend of mine saw me making jokes in the cafeteria. A friend of mine, Antoine Lincoln, uh, who was 
at Castle Park. We played against each other when I was at Marion Catholic High School. You know, nice. School for all the for, the for good Catholic boys like myself at the time. <laughs> and he said, hey, man, I remember you. We used to play basketball. What are you doing over here? You're cracking people up. I said, yeah, man, I'm just having fun. I got all this excess energy. He said, well, I'm doing stand-up at the Blue Haven in Chula Vista in two weeks. You want to do a show? And I said, wow. yes. So eight days after my 18th birthday, I was doing 20 minutes of stand-up comedy. Uh, no idea what I was doing. I just did the right. best I could. And from that point on, I was lucky enough that there were uh, there was a booker in San Diego that opened up six different locations in already existing places like the old Bonita store, um, sure. a couple in downtown LA, and they were restaurants that already existed and they had a section where you could do stand-up. So I, it just so happened that I was able to jump in and start to do shows five to six nights a week. Wow. So, so my question to you is like most people they do you know uh, open mics as they call them where you're able to just say a bunch of gibberish or whatever mm -hmm. you know you're liking poetic or whatever that that looks like you leapfrogged and went straight to the top you started like booking stuff because there was a booker who took notice of your talents early on and unbeknownst to you you ended up working with these wonderful talented uh, comedians that were already kind of at the top of their game um or growing right they were already starting to grow yeah uh, yeah what was that like i mean like you didn't know that there was any because obviously you know the brilliance as they say is in 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 the you know in the homework that you do mm -hmm. and, and and you know what i mean it's like it's it's all in the specifics and you how did you learn to do stand-up by watching others did you understand that there was a formula some kind of recipe that you know there was a, a premise or or did i mean you just kind of jumped into the wolves into the lion's den so to speak started throwing a bunch of stuff and then finally it made sense to put it together or how does that look like well i did a few things the first thing i did was i went to the library and the chula vista public library where my mom used to work and i just uh, got books on humor and comedy and stand-up. And from there, I went to a couple of bookstores where I purchased workbooks. And I started going through all these workbooks and putting together the material. Because keep in mind, I had two weeks uh, <laughs> after being invited to do a show. Wow. And yeah, I did leapfrog that sort of open mic. And right. what, what actually happened to for me was I was able to take that... Uh, focus and that energy and that diligence of being an athlete playing basketball and right. the amount of energy time energy and even money that I put into the sport which I could no longer do I brought that sort of workmanlike ethic to comedy so when I did my first show I had a set list I had an I had a structure I understood how the jokes should work uh, and the type of audience I was working with and all those things that I had studied and I put them into effect. And after a short period of time, the other comedians who were clearly more experienced, they recognized the value of my work and guided me along and allowed me to show up and do 12 here, 15 here, 17 here to the point where two years later, I was a middle act 
and a middle act is generally for people who may not know stand up you have a host who introduces someone you have an right. opener who might do eight to 10, 12 minutes. Sometimes they don't even have an opener. The host is the opener. Then you have a middle act who comes in the middle of the show and does 25 to 35 minutes. And then the headliner would show up. And because I was a reliable middle act uh, and my material was clean enough that I could do almost all rooms, but I had enough content where I could also do rooms that were a little bit edgier. And- Okay. I also would all check with the, the headliner and ask them what material they had in advance so that we wouldn't duplicate material and they appreciate that because they're the headliner. They get to showcase, I'm there to set them up. And that was right. very fortunate for me. And that's how I began to work as a middle act, began to travel Utah, Idaho, oh Nevada, throughout California. It's a dream and gig for you, man. At such a young age, it's insane. Yeah, 19 and uh, around 20 is when I really started to travel a lot, like a month or two at a time and uh, had that experience. And it was fantastic, exciting, challenging and uh, unique, very unique. Yeah, you did. You definitely did your due diligence and studied quite a bit to get your yourself ready. Like you said, you had um, an athlete's uh, mindset and and got, you know, put things into perspective. Listen, I have two weeks, so I'm going to do everything I can to have um, the right subject matter to present. And and then so that paid off and also being talented, just normally talented because you've done quite a bit of stuff even before, right? Because, you know, I'm sure. When was like the first time you set foot on stage? Uh, I don't know the year, but I know my first role was at the Old Globe Theater in San Diego. Um, okay. I was nine years old and I got to play uh, a role. Uh, it was eight or nine years old, the Cassius Carter at the Old Globe Theater. Uh, that was my first role. And the cool thing I remember, it's funny how when you're a kid, you remember certain things. And I don't even remember being on the stage. I don't remember the rehearsals I, or the actors or the fact that I was in this legendary famous space what i do remember is i got to have my own dressing room with m&ms wow that was it that's that was crazy it. the and what's also interesting is uh the lead actress who you know she's been pa passed on for a while now uh candace chappelle the one thing i do remember is the 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 scent of her makeup and the hairspray and the wardrobe is very theatrical because there's a different yeah. smell in the theater because the makeup and the hair and the wardrobe, it's sure. not something you keep in your house. It's no. a very different, unique scent. And I occasionally I'll be in a theater in the back of a theater or on a movie set and I'll catch a whiff of that. And it throws me back to the old globe theater in San Diego wow. in Balboa wow. park. And I have this moment where it all, all these lights and my, my name on the door and my little M&Ms and, <laughs> and sitting there on stage in the being surrounded by all these, these, uh, uh, the audience really interesting how it all flashes back, whether it's eight years right. old or 18. Yeah. It's interesting to point that out. You're right. And, um, and and I think 
you know, that sort of theater culture, if you will, is, um, is, is, is a kind of, um, it's one of a kind, it's unique, like you said, because um, everything that happens in there, it's enclosed. So um, the smells, generally speaking, they've, yeah, they have vents and, and you know, uh, AC that gets pumped in and out. But uh, by and large, when, when you're in, 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 you know, the dressing rooms and stuff, Mm-hmm. There's this, um, there's this sort of uh, nostalgia when you when you think about, you know, like a lot of the costumes, you know, mm. and stuff that's been worn by who knows who, you know what I mean? Like, just you could pick any name out of the hat. I'm sure people could have possibly have very well worn some of the stuff that's in there. So a lot of it is archaic. A lot of the smells, a lot of the scents, and, and it arouses your 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 scent. And I think that years later, like you said. It's almost like that smell of a grandfather that used to smoke a certain particular kind of cigarette. I know I had an uncle that smoked Winston cigarettes mm-hmm. morning with the paper. And, and, you know, he'd spent 40 years in New York. He was a henchman. No, he was. He was a garbage man. But it might as well be the same thing, right? <laughs> yeah, that particular smell, you know, that scent, that ever-present scent. That you can, and every time you you get a whiff of it someplace else, uh, you you it brings you right back to that. So I totally get what you mean, man, and and um, that's fantastic. And thanks for sharing that, my man. You um, got it. You must you got be, it. I was gonna say you must be a method actor. <laughs> well, you know what's interesting is, uh, it, well, first of all, actors do often refer to that as sense memory, and I think. Yeah, you know, we all have that. You know, you smell right. juicy fruit, and you think of your girlfriend when you were 16 years old, or whatever it might be—the juicy fruit <laughs> chewing gum. Uh, sure. But, but what I do is the opposite of what would be considered the traditional method acting, and I won't get into it too deeply because it's it's a little technical. But I go yeah. from exterior to interior, and I I select the types of shoes or undergarments. Right or hair, or, or I always put a certain base of makeup, uh, wow. even if I don't need it, or a uh, way of walking, or breathing, or moving. For example, when we worked on Journey to Justice, sure, um, I physically did not fit the role, because when I got the information, and hopefully uh-huh. I'm not jumping ahead because I know you want No, 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 it's fine. Later. We could stay whichever way you want to go. I mean, it's all about just, uh, you know, improvising at this point, talking about things that just come to mind. And we could, you know, I was going to say, actually, let's go. I was going to talk about like bad president. And oh, yeah, just, let's do it. Same idea. Mm-hmm. Same idea, right? Same idea. So so for all the people that are listening to paint a picture what what paul is talking about at this point uh him and i worked on on a on an episode uh, episodical show that's uh it's a web series that's on 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 um on youtube with uh journey to justice it's called it's pointing from the grave i think it's the name of the segment mm-hmm. paul plays a killer who who cold-blooded killer that takes out this lady um uh, outside of her house, right? You kill this lady right outside her house. So she's she's trying to get was she trying to get inside or out? I mean, I can't remember. She was leaving uh, for work. She was leaving for work, and yeah, you did such a phenomenal job. I was actually afraid of you at, at that point. You you really really um, owned it on the part. Just you know, it was really scary, man. And we could delve a little more about into that, but I wanted to touch up on 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 bad presidents. Yeah, bad president. Where, where, with, with uh, Eddie Griffin. Wow, Eddie Griffin and other comedians. I'm sure. What's the name of the comedian that that plays um, uh, Trump? Donald Trump. Uh, that's Jeff Rector. 
So we okay. have Eddie Griffin, the legendary comedian. Uh, yeah. Jeff Rector, who plays Donald Trump. There's also Justin right. Shankaro, who was a, a incredibly successful child actor. One of the shows he was in is Erie, Indiana. And now he does massive, uh, a, a huge amount of voice work. Um, right. He even has, you know, he, he you'll, you'll hear him everywhere. And he's on so many different shows. I, I can't even mention one because I don't want to leave out the and others. Paul Loudon, right, who plays uh, Don Jr., right? That's right, Don Jr., <laughs> and also the real Stormy Daniels. And... Is she real? Was that really her? Yes. I did catch some of that. Wow. She plays that's, herself. That's funny. I play okay. Don Jr. along with Mac Hines, who plays brother Eric Eric Trump, and he and I are the uh, the yeah. tag team there in the film. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. What was that dynamic like playing with working alongside these great actors and comedians? Well, the thing is, you in a sense, you have to be both selfish and generous, meaning I have to do everything I can to prepare so that regardless of the exterior or the environment or whomever I'm working with, I can mm -hmm. present the best. Right. Now, in this film, and we were talking about briefly about sense memory or how do you prepare. Uh, right. I basically went to YouTube and I watched five to 10 short videos on Donald Trump Jr. And what I do is I mimic without mocking. There's a difference. You can mimic someone right. without mocking them. And regardless sure. of whatever personal opinions I have about anyone in exactly. a film. It's art. At the end of the day, this is art we're talking exactly. about. Sure. So I took his speech pattern. I took the, his body language, uh, his, his vocal range, and uh, the shape and how he maneuvers parts of his face and his attitude. I blended it all together and I delivered all of my lines in that same cadence and that same rhythm. And I believe it worked. Wow. It was, it was stupendous. It was amazing. I think you, you embodied him better than he himself. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I've seen a better other, version of him. <laughs> yeah. I've seen other people, uh, do versions of the Trump brothers and they take it to almost like a New York over the top mafioso. But when you see these guys talking in public, uh, especially when they're on the campaign trail, it's nothing like how they're portrayed. In fact, it's very, very different. And when I had the chance to work with Mac Hines, uh, who played brother Eric, it's really fascinating because in real life, uh, Mac is a very deeply spiritual person, just loving and kind and thoughtful. And boy, in this movie, he sure played dumb guy, dumb Eric, whether whether or not Eric Trump is or is not in real life, it doesn't matter. That's the perception and that's the script. So you can see how people through their study, through their diligence, through their hard work and dedication can portray something very different from who they are. And that was my goal sure. because this character, not the person in real life, the character in the movie is very different from me. In fact, one of the lines in the movie, uh, or many of the lines are borderline, you know, questionably racist or prejudice. Uh, and you know, when you grow up in Chula Vista, you don't come out of Chula Vista uh, being worried about skin tones. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> right, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that the truth? It um, is. It, it, it's it's crazy. Um, I know a few actors, and I think one of the 
ball players and the ex Dodger player and Mario Lopez were also from Chula Vista originally, right? Yeah. Um, Mario Lopez's wrestling coach is Bill Virtus. Bill Virtus, as you know, directed Paul Rodriguez yeah. in the pitch. Which is where we met. You and I. Where we met. So, yes. <laughs> yes. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Full circle. How about yeah. that? And and that was that was stellar too. I mean, your performance in in the pitch was great. Can you tell us a little bit more about your character so our listeners can tune in? And wait, let's let's be more specific. Uh, what the pitch was. So the pitch was basically Par Rodriguez getting together with um, his son and Edward James almost to pitch a show um, to Hollywood, right? And that's the premises. Yes, exactly. Premise? With with a okay. Mexican slash Latino uh, theme, so that it could have the authenticity of that okay. culture, which you and I talked about previously and right. the difficulties that he had and the obstacles that he faced, you know, in at a time when more ethnically based shows were not popular or almost right. rarely seen. And if there were characters, they were such a stereotype, sure. such a, uh, well, you had the buddy cop thing and it was always like the black guy and the white guy. Yes, and, uh, that was very, you know, and and yeah. then you had the the typical uh, nanny. That was the kind of a big thing, starting with the Goonies, yeah. um, with the you know the nanny, and then into the nineties, and um, yeah, there was quite a bit of you know. Then you had the gardeners, and and then quite a bit of of stereotypes out there, um, and 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 yeah, in this this uh this it was turned into a a theater production. I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, through and through, and. And and then you play. Okay, would, are you are you one of the executives, or you want, or you a publicist? I'm trying to remember what you what do you play in the pitch? In the, yeah. In the so in the in the pitch, my character embodies the resistance of executive producers and Hollywood right. in I general. So I was a producer <laughs> who rejected yeah. the ideas, but in a way that was slightly racist or slightly inappropriate. Yeah. But with a smile. Yeah, yeah, you were, you were, um, you were like the linchpin um, when I saw and and that kind of um, character that stood out for the wrong reasons in terms mm -hmm. of you hated him, but then it produced something in you. And at the end of the day, that was a great performance. Well, I appreciate it. And one of the things is that again, it's fun because you know, obviously, unless you can see what I look like, I, I look like an. What, what my friends when I played basketball would be TWB, which is a typical white boy, an average white male. So uh -huh. I get a lot of roles as a nice person, uh, <laughs> as, as a regular guy. In fact, I did these branding courses, right? Where they, right. Look at, they look at you in a room. You don't speak. They look at you and check off the categories of who you are, what you would be. And I did it three different times three different wardrobes, three different hairstyles, three different everythings, and I got the same thing. Nice, friendly, polite, thoughtful, considerate, well-spoken, all these nice things, right? right? Which is great in real life if you walk into a room and yeah. people say, that's a nice guy. But it is- very They won't arrest you. That's a great thing, Paul. You're not going to get arrested or you're the last guy to get framed. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I love it. I feel very- <laughs> but a lot of people don't realize that Paul can actually play uh, multi-dimensional characters and he can be a villain too, which um, 
we go back to going back to justice, uh, journey to justice. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're sending our thoughts and prayers to, by the way, to uh, producer Pete Correa, who lost his mom last week, by the way. So it's a good friend of mine. And I had Pete uh, not long ago on the on the show. So it's really unfortunate. Um, you you played a hell of a villain, dude. And it was really, really, um, I don't know, you captured the essence of of this killer, this cold, cold blooded killer. How did you prepare for that? a specific character being that you usually play the nice guys. Well, luckily we have the internet now. And when Pete told me the story and I, and he sent me just a synopsis. So I Googled the name and I watched the, all the uh, footage uh, of the case and everything I could find. And then what I noticed, well, first of all, physically, I didn't match this person. Uh, this person had long, wavy, not curly hair, but wavy, uh, slightly different skin tone and body type, a uh, bit more muscular. I'm kind of tall and slender. So that's why I went out and purchased from a very reputable professional wig company. If you notice, I showed up, I had longer hair, wavy hair. Uh, sure. I also yeah. purchased a type of makeup, a base that would be darker than mine. I only have a hint of olive. And so I put this as a very, very dark olive. And the person seemed to be a bit more uh, built, upper body strength. So I put underneath my the clothes I was wearing, it's a type of fitted shirt that pulls onto your body that forces your posture and to push your chest out to give the appearance of muscularity. Wow. And then And then when I showed up, of course, most of it, I had a um, what is it called? I had a mask on, right? You did. Yes, you did. But you had a mask on, even though my hair is covered and my face is covered and I'm wearing a jacket, all like a hoodie. Also, you had like a hoodie and I had a hoodie, but with despite my face never really being seen and me doing all of that, it helped me with my research, recognizing the callous and casual nature of sure. this person and yeah. allowed me to do the performance despite never actually having my face be seen. Yeah, it it, it, it was it was some something else to see um the swiftness in which you did it. It's like, you know, you you really had um a, the sense of you know urgency that you know take this take this take advantage of just take it take her out once and for all. Um, you know, I've had enough of her. Um, I'm going for it. And and that it, it showed. It showed itself in the scene. In fact, Justine was fantastic. She was phenomenal. I'm going to have her um, uh, on the podcast. Well, as Ken, my partner in crime, literally, because I was uh, him and I were detectives. I was Detective Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, and watching Justine and, 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 you know, she actually cut open her. Uh, she had a wound on her knee. And I thought, Holy cow! Is is Paul really taking this to like a whole other level? Like and Justine, like what's up with them? But I mean, <laughs> you guys really played the part, and, and it was great. And I was so happy to be part of that, um, you know, uh, that team. And 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 of course, the crew was was just a wonderful. And then we had pizza. And my, you were talking to to my girl at the time. I think inside um, when we cut for one of the scenes, and then she said that she could almost see your vile eyes in you like you, you know, <laughs> and then, and then you were nice, but then you also, there's this, um, uh, uh, kind of, um, 
a menacing look to you. And I thought, wow, Paul is just, you know, like really a, a professional. <laughs> and then at the but end then, of the day, I take the wig off and I wash my face and I yeah. take the shirt off and, you know, everybody goes, oh, and then, this, it's, it's and a regular then, dude. <laughs> and then you started busting out with jokes after we're like, oh. yes. Paul is, is like, Paul is so is so funny. I mean, they go, you know, he is a comedian after all. Yeah, that was really well you know, you, the idea of turning the switch and, and uh, yeah, and very important, what, by the way. Yeah, and that's what we did with Justine. I know we had a because I had just met her and I spoke with her and I told her I said, okay, this is where I'm going to grab you and this is how it's going to work. Uh, you know, the idea of having a safety first protocol and where where we were going to land. Sure. And no matter how many times we did it, we didn't quite land the exact location where we wanted to. So that's where she got a little scratch and my elbow did get yeah. a little scratch. Sure. But, but it was organic. That's what made it work, too, because although, you know, the fact of the matter is when when the cameras roll and you just do it, you just go into it and then, you know, the chips kind of land where they may. And then it's it's just magic it was great yeah part of what i did also was there was a certain timing i told her okay when you get to this spot uh that's when i'm gonna jump out which was about <laughs> three steps and what i did each time was i was slightly off the count genuinely great. didn't know so one time i would be that's slightly true. early that's one time i was yeah. slightly later and another time i was slightly wow. on the other side so that way I could catch her, we could, I could catch her slightly off balance each time. Sure. But still within the realm of where we were supposed to be for the continuity right. of the camera, for the scene okay. yeah. and safety. Yeah, that was brilliantly done, my man. You did your homework for sure. Um, and so tell us a little bit about, well, you know, I'm going to touch up on the the books that you're you're publishing called one books. You have two books that are going to be out shortly and we will, we will um, uh, be following your social media accounts so that we can know just when those will drop. You have a, a dear cancer and that's one book and piggy goes to the market. That's another uh, book that we're going to be talking about and more in depth when you come back uh, through the virtual, I mean, through the video component we're going to do. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about, uh, dear cancer because you're a survivor so let's talk about um cancer is that okay for us to talk about you know um how i know it's very sensitive but you know it's always important to, to talk about awareness and, and and cancer awareness so you um you got when were you first diagnosed uh 2007 september of 2007 uh so i went in at 210 pounds at six foot four and I left at 6'2", 139 pounds. Wow. So that gives you an idea yeah. of yeah. some of the challenges. And I was in there for 73 days. And the entire process of not only going through the treatment, but also the, the recovery took a total of five years. Amazing, man. And you um, obviously, you know, you had to do to do any homework because I've had other cancer um, survivors that have fought through it and a lot of them go through like non-conventional route that you go to more like would you say a conventional route because you were obviously working with the with the medical field and the doctors and whatnot or or, um, or did you just um, uh, what exactly did you do 
to fight it off. Yeah, I was in a situation where the cancer affected other parts of my body. So if I were to do a homeopathic or uh, all natural treatment that might have taken care of the cancer, which a lot of people do, and there's a, it's an arguable uh, topic. However, my situation affected other parts of my body that needed to be repaired immediately. And because of that, I was in the hospital 73 days. I went through uh, two experimental surgeries yeah. and three procedures, as well as two chemotherapy treatments and uh, an additional round of treatment when I uh, was finally able to get out of the hospital. But I will tell you this, and you can take it for as a for what it is and for what it's worth and wherever your mindset is, your perception or faith or belief is that at one point, nothing seemed to be working. Uh, I wasn't getting better. I was struggling. And I did have someone come into the hospital who was a healer, put their hands over me, spent a little yes. time doing that. And the very next day when they did the x-rays, everything was gone. Wow. There you go. Bravo. Well, there you so go. you had, you had faith in, and in, 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 I think it was supernatural intervention of God also has something to do with it. And obviously, and then the doctors and the medicine and all came together and, and then um, you came out on the other end, uh, all healthy. And now you you have um, you devote part of your life to helping those um, who are going through it by um, by raising awareness and uh, through different shows that you do. You collect and fundraise. Is that right for um, silly videos that you do? That's right. That's right. So what I do That's is cool. uh, a lot of people when they have their story of cancer and cancer recovery. It is often of the event itself. And that's a respectable and a way to approach it. Mine is what have I accomplished since then? And what I did was executive produce over 22 sketches, short comedy, sketch comedy, clean, silly, physical comedy, Mr. Bean, Chaplin, you know, stuff even your grandma. Lighthearted stuff. Yeah, yeah, very lighthearted, very uh, universally themed. And then I would put together a big event, whether it be in Chula Vista at the Ultra Star or at one of the theaters here in Los Angeles, and it would be sponsored by a cancer organization like the Brenda Mellon Cancer Fund or uh, other organizations that I've had in the past. Um, and we put on the event and I share my story of recovery. And then we watch the videos, we have a good time, and then we have some drinks, which are sponsored by Stone Brewery down there in San Diego. So they always provide our drinks, nice. which, you know, it always Very helps cool. laugh when you've had a few strong IPAs. And <laughs> the idea is that instead of focusing on when I was sick and the struggle that I went through, instead, what have I done since then that can touch, motivate, or inspire others once they get past that certain time where they go from a survivor to a thriver? And how can they achieve greatness within themselves and influence others? And that's what my events are. And they're called Comedy Crushes Cancer. And my last event was March of last year, which got canceled at the last minute because of the lockdown. Sure. Uh, and it was at... Bummer, huh? Yeah, it was at the Stone Brewery. It was scheduled to be at the Stone Brewery in San Diego, our hometown. And uh, 
So it's on hold. It's it's postponed. It doesn't. It's not canceled. It will happen again. But I will say that these events I've had three. They're very inspiring because it's a humor-based evening. It's fun. You laugh. You have a good time. And despite the fact that there is a cancer-related uh, scenario, people right. see and think, "Wow, you don't have to be limited by what you've gone through." And your sure. past, you can then elevate and actually propel yourself to do other things that absolutely can be pretty absolutely. pretty awesome. Sure, you're a you're a, a superhuman being. Your your humanity in you and your focus in giving back, my man, is um, it's invaluable. It's it's a note, you know, um, it's something that ought to be. Um, regaled and talked about more and 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 i i am very um i'm very blessed to know you and have you in my life as a good friend um i appreciate yeah appreciate yeah man god bless you for that now channel surfing uh you have a is that channel surfing studios is the name of your youtube channel is that correct yeah it's the youtube channel and also the website channel surfing studios.com now if you go to youtube okay. and you put in Channel surfing, you got to make sure to put studios because if you put in channel surfing, you will find a cooking show, which is awesome. Uh, you want to learn how to make a flambe, that's the place to go. So just make sure to put in channel surfing studios, and then you'll see my goofy face there. Uh. And you'll see silly names like Mr. Velcro and, and uh, you know, Arrogant Bastard and the Honesty app, and you'll know you're in the right place to get some silly smiles. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking to Mr. Paul Loudon Clear. Um, I'm really uh, happy to have you on, my man. We're running out of time, but I do want to, to before I forget, the sponsors. I have sponsors for this uh, episode, and um, our sponsor is uh, uh, it's called Fearless. The name of the book is Fearless by by another filmmaker, Shauna Baca. Um, you know, last month uh, was. Um, mental health uh you know um awareness month and you know it's never too late to to seek help there are services out there um through this book is basically a recount an account of her journey um you know and, and uh, through her mental struggles and whatnot and how she's used conventional and non-conventional medicine so yeah pick it up it's on amazon um uh fear less once again it's fear less by shauna baka my man um it is it is fantastic to have you on and i you know it's just well, i don't know where time went but i do want to <laughs> i do want i do want to um i want to ask you for your social media handles to let mm -hmm. us know where to follow you because we do want to follow up on the books that are going to be coming out shortly and um and yeah so can you go ahead and do that at this time please absolutely so sure. first of all for youtube which is where you can get to see all the silly sketches it's channel surfing studios so channel surfing studios and everyone says, Oh, you have a studio. Wow. You're, you're, you're so awesome. You have a studio. What kind of studio is it like uh, uh, Warner brothers? I say, no, 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 no. When I first started producing this, I was in a studio apartment. So, uh, <laughs> so it's channel surfing studios. Oh, and as far as my, man. my personal handles, it's all Paul Loudon, L A U D E N uh, at whether it be Twitter or Instagram or any of those, Facebook, it's or, Paul Loudon. Or MySpace. So, what about MySpace? You still have MySpace? Yeah, I still have my MySpace where I put all my music <laughs> on there and the, all my old hip hop recordings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Paul is is just. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna have you rap for us. <laughs> you would probably do it too. My original rap Pop. song that I wrote in '88, which back then would be funny and silly, now might be politically incorrect because it was called "Dance That's Like true. a White Boy." So we won't even get uh -oh. into that. But let's just say it celebrates dance culture. That's all I can say. There you go. Live and dance. There you go. Um. So once again, it's been nothing but fun. Uh, chatting up, chatting it up with you. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Paul, loud and clear. Sir Paul Loudon, thank you, sir, for coming on. And until next time. Until next time, my friend. I look forward to it. Confessions of a limo driver. Goodbye, buddy. Bye-bye.